You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Daryl Prail, CMO at VanillaSoft, about selling against your toughest competitors. Competition will do a really great thing to you in sales. And, you know, if you've read any books on sales or been doing this for a while, you've probably heard that you shouldn't talk bad about your competition. And I think that's really sound advice. Because in any social situation, if you were to talk bad about someone else, it just doesn't make you look good, right? You look like someone that is a hater or jealous or envious. And, you know, I'm probably not going to trust someone that talks a, you know, a lot of shit about other people, right? So that one is easy for me to understand. The thing that is a little bit harder is, like, if you're in an industry where you're selling against competitors that, you know, are really big in your industry, and maybe they're more well known in that particular industry, or they have more funding, or they're bigger, they've been around longer, it's really foolish of you not to talk about your competition. And the reason for that is your prospects are going to do research. It's so easy to get online and do research now, they're going to look into your competition. And the question is, well, if I need to talk about my competition, and I can't talk bad about them, and that's not going to help me, what should I do? And that's what we're going to get into today that I'm really excited about. My name is Jason Bam, your host, and if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, our goal with this podcast is really to help you think outside the script in your prospecting and help you use proven tactics and strategies to set more meetings with your ideal clients. And that's exactly what we're going to talk to our guest today, Daryl Prail, who's CMO at VanillaSoft. They're one of the top sales engagement platforms out there. And what they do is they give sales teams the tools they need to engage, qualify, and close sales. So you can set up these cadences and all this cool stuff with their tool. And the big thing we're going to dig into is they have some really big competitors in the space that we're going to talk about. And Daryl's got a really good way of dealing with these competitors. And he chooses not to run away from competitors. He chooses to run towards them. So he's not afraid of addressing it. And they've done a really good job with their messaging and their positioning. And we're going to get into some really tactical things that you can do as a sales rep if you're listening to this on how to talk about your competition. He's also going to talk about what empathy is, you know, real versus fake empathy. And I think you're really going to dig it, especially if you're in an industry that happens to be particularly crowded. Before we get into the interview, we just launched a community that I think you'll be really excited about. So if you're looking for an online community where you can connect with like-minded peers and also learn about prospecting and the best strategies and tactics for connecting with potential customers, I think you really dig it. So make sure to go to blissfulprospecting.com. You're going to see a big button at the top there that says join the community. Make sure to check it out. There's several reps in there right now. The conversations are really awesome. We have weekly office hours where we get on a phone call together. We network. We go through your challenges. It's a great place to get your emails and things like that reviewed. So make sure to go to blissfulprospecting.com and click on join the community. And let's get into the interview. So we first met. Uh, ironically, through a cold email that I sent you uh, to get on your podcast. <laughs> so you're, you're, uh, you're back returning the favor, man. It's good to have you on. It's good to be here. In fact, I just did a, what was it? I, was, I did a, a webinar. No, yeah, I did, a, I did a, a live stream because right now I can't travel to the U.S. because of our current situation. I was supposed to be speaking at an event at UT Dallas and, uh, and I ended up having to do it all virtual. And the topic I picked was stop sending shitty emails. And I gave you full credit I use the reply method, Jason Bay, Blissful Prospecting, and I walk them through the reply method and why that works. So uh, because of you reaching out to me, there's a lot of people now who are a little bit smarter when it comes to doing email. <laughs> no, that's cool. I appreciate it. 
I, uh, I want to talk a little bit about if you want to go back a little bit into just your journey, because what I, what I find pretty interesting about just from what I could see on LinkedIn was that you correct me if I'm wrong, you were a computer science major, and then you kind of started out doing some consulting and then got into marketing. Like, how did you, how did you get into marketing initially? So it'll all make sense when you hear it, but yeah, okay. I'm, a computer, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a computer science guy. I, I coded for, I don't know, five, six years. Um, and how it went down was this, and it goes back to when I finished school. So when I finished school, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of coding. I don't want to code. Oh my, I watched all my friends become coding nerds. Uh, I don't want to do that. What do I do? A lot of my friends were like, you should go into sales. And I'm like, sales. I, I, I didn't know anybody in sales. Like, nobody in my family sold sales. Okay. Okay. I'll do sales. And I, you know, did this song and dance and I applied out a thousand jobs. I got asked a thousand times to sell them this, this pencil. And eventually I landed a job selling photocopiers door to door. Did that for six months. Oh, dang. Talk about the school of hard knocks. So six months later, I realized, damn, sales is hard. And I'm not sure I'm cut out for sales. And all of a sudden, I was missing coding. And I went back to coding. And that's what I did for the next five or six years. Um, but along the way, uh, I got, got to a point in time that uh, they kind of said to me, they said, hey, Daryl, you know, we have this opening for a sales engineer. Any interest? And I'm like, yeah, because again, days would be to my sales background. So a sales engineer was you know, the technology guy who could actually sell the benefits yeah. and build the product. Right? So I was a sales engineer, did that for a few months. And then they said, hey, Daryl, we, uh, we need a product manager. And since you're already a sales engineer, do you want to be a product manager? I'm like, yeah. So I did that for a few months. I was like, hey, Daryl, we got to launch this product. We need a product marketer. And you're already a product manager. I'm like, I'm in. So from product marketing management to product marketing. And then we had our first kid. And at that point, we were working in the States. And we decided to have our kid back in Canada, where I'm from. And I needed to get a job. And, uh, and so I, I got a job as a marketer for a database company, in, a startup in Canada. So it was a technical marketing role. And then from there, my marketing career took off. And I actually went back and forth from marketing to sales. I've been a VP of sales twice and I've been a head of marketing several times now. So, you know, I go from loving demand gen and content to loving getting those big ass commission checks yeah. And then getting tired of the quotas and then getting tired of the content. So I, I go back and forth. I'm, I'm a wonder. No, that's really interesting. That's something that uh, we sort of have in common that I didn't know about it. Because I, I started out in sales going door to door, actually selling house painting services. So oh. selling like three to $8,000 house painting so uh, services. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Their competitor, College Works Painting. Same, same, totally same, same company. Yeah. Um, so that's, so that's interesting because I worked with them and then I went into a director of marketing role and I'm curious because you've bounced back and forth. How, how did being in sales help you with marketing and, and vice versa? Because I think what you're, you have a pretty unique perspective because most people in sales positions that I've seen have only done sales and then marketing is only marketing. And then there's the classic siloed sort of communication going on between the two. Yeah. So to answer your question, how did it help me? How, I, I, where do I start? So what I got a real insight into being a sales rep and then ultimately a sales manager was just the, the tension, the pressure, the anxiety, the, that quota that's over your head the whole time. And, you know, you're, you're, you're putting all your faith in that lead, that marketing gets you that turns out to be crap because they wanted the tchotchke and there was no qualification behind it. And I was like, you know, shoot me now. You know, I loved when I, I, what I loved about sales was I loved the conversations. I loved 
helping people. What I hate it was I hate door to door. I hated the cold calling. I hated the quota. End of quarter, you hit your number. You're like, yeah. And the very next day, boom, you have a quota again. So that's that what might we, get increased. And it might get increased. Yeah. Great <laughs> yeah. job. Do it again. Fifty percent more. Yep. So that's what I, you know. I you learned that it was a process. That was the best part. So when I was in marketing, I recognized that the sales reps needed information. They needed real leads that were qualified. I needed to, ha- I needed to understand their comp plan. I needed to understand how they're going to cherry pick my leads because I understood why they were cherry picking my leads. I knew it wasn't personal. It, they were just doing what they were being paid to do. Um, I needed to understand what they were saying on the phone because half the time they were ignoring the advice that marketing was giving them on the messaging. So I had to go and sit and, and show them how my messaging worked. I'd get on the phone with them. Say, watch this. Here we go. And they go, oh, okay, I get it now. You know, tell some stories. Don't just pitch product. Qualify them. Uh, so it really helped me understand the world and make sure they had what they needed to survive. It also, though, as a, as a marketing exec, it helped me make sure that I had a, a solid rapport with my head of sales and that we had a service level of agreement. We understood, we shared an understanding what a lead was in MQL and SQL, what the timing would be to respond to those leads, how many attempts would take place, uh, what channels would be used, and we held each other accountable. Um, once, you know, I worked out with my sales leaders, uh, those, those conversations, you know, but open it up by saying, you know, dude, what's your quota? What's your compensation? When do the accelerators kick in? What do you need from me? What, what's the mix between inbound and outbound do you think? And they were, their eyes would open up and be like, like, you get my world. Then I could ask for them, okay, I need a certain speed to lead. I need a certain number of engagement attempts. I need to feed, get feedback from you. If you're going to change my script, don't hide from me. Tell me. And if, it, if your script is better than mine, let me know so I can update my marketing. So it really became a partnership. But that was, that was, that was how, because I, I did sales. That's awesome. I mean, just in the work that we do too, I, I don't see that type of communication between marketing and sales and then also customer success, you know, kind of sort of looping them in with everything as well. Oh man, we could have a whole podcast on how marketing could. and sales could work, work better together. But one thing that you said that stuck out to me that I actually don't hear a lot of marketing people talk about is you said, hey, let, let me get on the phone and have a conversation and I'll use this and show you that it works. Is that how you guys approach like vanilla soft? Does marketing come up with, uh, or I don't even know how, how much outbound do you guys do? You guys have an outbound tool. I mean, is it is an out, is outbound a decent mix of your guys' marketing? And, and does marketing take the messaging or does sales? How do you guys do it? All brilliant questions. You, you asked about a thousand there. Let me see if I can. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm still getting a hang of this interviewing thing, man. That's okay. You're doing great. <laughs> Tangents are wonderful. Um, in no particular order. So when I got there, I've been there almost three years. Uh, inbound was like almost 95% of our activity. Now inbound is probably about 60% of our activity. Mm-hmm. The other 40% is outbound. So and that's done using classic, classic. I use the term target account selling. I don't use the word ABM because ABM has an emphasis on the M, which is marketing. When yep. it comes to sales, it's target account selling. You do ABM to support TAS. That's pretty the way it works. No one tells you that. But that's the way it works, guys. Um, so... That's the mix. So yes, we do outbound uh, and we do use our tool to do the playbooks, the cadences, X number of touches uh, with multiple channels and content and everything else. Um, and of course, the content changes as they go through the buyer's journey. So, and we hold our reps accountable for, you know, certain activity numbers, conversations, demos, that kind of stuff, the usual stuff. But we also understand it's a combination of quality, not just quantity. Too many people get hung up on that quantity part. 
So we, we do that. Now, your question also was, how does that go when I get on the phone? Typically, I don't get on the phone with them a lot because they're really, really good. What I've done is I, I, I actually bring on, you'll love this part. I, I'm going to ask your question a little differently, but it gets the same goal. I bring on some of the people on the sales team who are rock stars, and I say, I'm going to bring you on with me onto an analyst call or to a partner call or to a, you know, a, a customer call where maybe doing a case study or something. And, uh, and trip in whenever you want to, but you know, uh, otherwise just, I want you to be exposed so you can hear what's going on. I, w- I want you to know what the analysts are saying about the industry and not just what you hear or what, you know, you espouse. So it's, it's to give them a bigger picture, but what they hear in the process, this is all sneaky in my part, full disclosure is to hear me talking and they hear me do storytelling. They hear me talk about the facts. They hear me talk about how we're different from our competitors. And also they come back and they're like, dude, I didn't know those stories. Well, that's a great way the way you positioned us against the competition. Or man, that FUD you create a killer. And I'm like, great, now you get it. So I do that because if they see that, then they can cherry pick what they want, but they're cherry picking stuff I've already approved. So that's, and I've seen that work really, really well. When I get on the phone with them, this is going to happen because I'm out of practice. They're going to laugh at me. They will applaud my efforts. Then they'll mock at me when I suck compared to them. But they'll do the same thing. What they'll do is, is what I'll challenge them on. I'll say, hey, let's, yeah, you're going to kick my ass in selling because you do this every day and I don't. But let's, let's do an A-B test. Whose email script is better? Is it my script or your script? Whose call script is better? My script or your script? And then we will A-B test it. And of course, inevitably what you get is no, there's no clear winner. They're partly right. I'm partly right. But that's good. So we create that third hybrid and life is grand. What we do as it relates to actual scripting and nurtures, this one's interesting. Marketing owns the marketing nurtures, top of funnel. After that, we typically draft the email nurtures that sales will send, the drips. But we let sales revamp it. When you say drips, want, are these a part of the outbound? It's part of the outbound ones? nurture. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, maybe seven touches in seven days, whatever it might yep. be. Okay. And, uh, but it's not from corporate marketing. It's from, you know, Jason Bay and, you know, the, the, the comp sales rep. Um, so we let them tweak it. And when I say them, what I still mean is sales leadership, not the individual rep. And then we give the individual rep freedom to have, you know, play with the nuances. If you don't like this word, but you like that word and it's just a synonym, fine, knock yourself out. You want, we want you to sound natural. But yeah, we definitely, we start the process just so they understand from a marketing point of view, because we have more exposure than they do. They, they talk to prospects in our target market but they get one point of view. Whereas I talk to people like you and others, you know, Keenan and everybody else, Trish Bertuzzi. Then I talk to analysts and I talk to reporters. I talk to investors. So I have a broader experience and exposure to the questions and the positioning than they do. So by me starting it off, that allows them to go, oh, I hadn't thought of going that angle. And then they can tweak it. And if they disagree, then again, we go circle back to that. Okay, let's, let's A-B test it. You don't agree with that approach? I'm cool. I don't care if it's my script or your script on the email or the call. I don't genuinely care because you know what? I'm comped on new customers and on overall revenue goals and on profitability too, even though I'm in marketing. So if you can close more deals by proving me wrong, knock yourself out on the ultimate winner. And when they hear that, they understand emotion is no longer part of it. They understand that we're all in this together. And then they're really, they're typically far more amenable to say, oh, okay, let, let, yeah, let's A-B test it. That's a cool idea. So. That's how we approach it. Yeah, it's funny because we've talked a couple of times, so I have a pretty good idea. And I've listened to a lot of your and watched a lot of your stuff. So I, I think I have a decent idea of your personality. But 
the uh, the approach of how you do this, I love because it's like, okay, but let's A/B test it. You know, you're okay with, with like, uh, you don't have to agree with me, but you should try it because our goal together here is to make it work. And it's it's like the least confrontational. And behind the scenes, you might be a complete jerk. I don't I don't know, Daryl. I probably but, am. Uh, <laughs> My wife and kids would say am. Yeah. But, you know, here's the here's the beauty is I'm old enough now. What was I heard somebody. The other day, I, I, I see if I get this right. I'm a, in my 20s. I care what everybody thinks. In my 30s, uh, I, was, I don't care. You know, I don't care as much people think. it by my 50s, and I'm 52, you know, I don't even know what I what the hell I think anymore. So the point yeah. being is, if someone's right and I'm wrong, my comp plan is still the same. Yeah. And if you have success. I'm getting my bonus, dude, and I'm okay with that. So I don't have ego. I have ego in other areas. My my, I mean, my lord, I have ego in other areas. Yeah, but no, not there, not there. Yeah, I love that. So I want to talk about because you mentioned competitors, and I wanted to get you on here and have a conversation because one of the things that okay, this is just my view as an outsider. So I could be completely off on this, but my view from the outside. And having demoed with uh, Vanilla Soft as well, is that it doesn't seem like you guys try to compete directly with Outreach or Sales Loft. We'll throw those two out because those are probably yep. the two other big ones in the industry. Yep. Um, it's almost like, hey, yeah, we're still a sales engagement platform. I guess you could categorize us like that if you wanted to, but we're for someone that's looking for a very different type of way to do this. And that always stuck out to me in a really good way because when I first heard of you guys, I was thinking, oh, another sales engagement platform, yep. right? Yep. How are they going to possibly compete without reaching sales loft? Yeah, I was really impressed, especially with the way that you market, which we'll get into here in a second. But my, my question is, because I think a lot of people, we were talking before I hit record, are dealing with two or three other big competitors well, that are also well-known and they're having to compete against them right now when they're selling. And I think a lot of people just don't talk about it at all. But what is like, what are some of the steps or maybe what is the first thing that you're thinking about from a messaging standpoint and your competitors? Does that come into the conversation? Are you thinking about that? Like, What, what are some of the things that are going through in your head? So there's probably three things. Uh, one, your ICP, your ideal customer profile. Two, your competitive intelligence. And three, user, customer, feedback. So, you know, we have clients who used to be sales loft or outreach, and now they're vanilla soft. And I'm sure they've we've got they've got vanilla soft clients that used to that are now sales loft or outreach. And that's fine. So that feedback, and, and it, it, we, we hear a lot of it in the demos. It's like, oh wow, when I was on with outreach, they showed me this. And, uh, but I, but how do you do it? Well, oh, we do it this way. Oh, that's different. And what I like about the way you guys do it is because of that. And then we speak up, we're like, oh, really? So they don't do it that way. Oh, no, they don't do it that way. Oh, really? You know, so that's that getting that feedback, being active about it, actively surveying. You know, that's a regular part of what we do with our install base and, and our prospects. We, and we have win loss analysis and stuff. How do you, that, um, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you here. No, go I'm ahead. Curious, man. Um, so this user customer feedback, how is the, how do you guys gather the intel that a an SDR or BDR gathers during the prospecting or or even the demo process as an AE? How do you guys gather that intel or information so that you have it 
for marketing material or whatever for, or for coaching? Like, how is that, how is that gathered? So there's two ways to answer that. One, the tool, we, we, use, we use our own tool, Vanilla Soft. The tool has built-in scripting capabilities and, and call it a script, call it a call guide, call it, you know, talking points, whatever you want to talk. That's what it is. You can use it as much as you want. And along the way, you might say, you might be, you know, the script might say, okay, and, and just, we you know, what CRM do you use? And of course, we have drop downs and everything else. And when you say, oh, I use Salesforce, um, that automatically populates against the contact. You know, you're, you say, oh, because it's, it's all nested. Oh, they use Salesforce. Okay, mm-hmm. boom. That leads to the next question because they use Salesforce. I'm not going to ask a question about Kanban boards like I would in pipe drive when I ask a question about, you know, Einstein or something. Who the hell knows? So we use the, the scripting tool allows us to dynamically capture that on the fly. So that's the first part. Cool. Second part, like everybody else, we use things like conversational analytics and conversational analytics is able to track for every single mention of sales loft or outreach or certain keywords. So you're using like a gong or a chorus or some, or exactly like that. I'm not going to endorse anyone okay. because I love them all, but yes, you got the idea. Yeah. So that's the second part where you get some tangible, measurable, trackable data. We can say, look at, you know, outreach is coming up on 23% of our calls in the high tech space for companies in this size range. Right. So they are, but sales off to only then 5%. Okay. So then we need to make sure we have a better, you know, uh, engagement plan, you know, war book messaging, whatever, you know, for that audience. So that's how we track the, the, the numbers and data you're asking about combination. Um, but the one of the things I'll, I'll go back to is, is also know, know your strengths and weaknesses, which is a little bit competitive intelligence, a little bit of ICP. So I mentioned that we bring up, uh, we, I will proactively, uh, this is, I, a lot of people, you mentioned people hide from the competition. I actually run to it. So when I'm in a speaking gig, I'll say, yeah, I'm a sales engagement vendor in vanilla soft and I have fun. I'll say, show of hands, you won't hurt my feelings. How many people here have never heard of us? And of course, there's, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50% of people, hands go up, never heard of us. That's cool. Don't worry about it. How, how many people here have heard of sales soft or outreach? Well, almost all the hands go up. Great. That's when I say, we do what they do, but differently. And they go, oh, so now they have context because people are always looking for context. They're going to waste so many cycles trying to figure out who you are, that they're not paying attention. Once you go, oh, you do that. They nine times out of 10 will prompt me. I don't have to ask. They'll say, how are you different? So is there some psychology there around? Absolutely. Hey, let's just, uh, one, there, there must be some sort of trust or something like that built with someone that just comes out and completely does something disarming, right? There must be some sort of thing going on there. And I'm, and I'm also wondering by comparing and getting them to that conclusion quickly, or at least to see the similarity and what it is and, and to categorize it, they're not burning up a bunch of calories mentally trying to be like, well, what is this? So it's kind of like an email tool and they kind of do this and, but how do I, okay. Yes. Interesting. You're saving cycles. You're building trust. Well, the, you know, Daryl didn't run from it. In fact, he ran to it. So I kind of like him. Yeah. And then, and then they're feeling in control, which is always what you want in the conversation. Because the next question is always going to be, "How are you different?" Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked. You asked me. So now I have permission because you just asked me. And now I'm going to go through, and that's my idea of customer profile. So in this case, I won't give the whole answer, but you get the idea. I'll say something along the lines of this. Um, you know. Sales often outreach sell medium to enterprise. You can just go on Zoom Info, Discover Org, whatever, and look at technographics, and you can quickly see 
uh, that they're all medium to large size companies. We sell at SMB. Are you an SMB or are you a large size company? Well, we have a thousand people because you're an SMB. Yeah, we're an SMB. Great. So that's who we sell. That's first off. Next off, they sell, again, that same analogy. You do a search on you know Zoom or Discover and you say, show me all their customers not in high tech. Boom, less than 5%. I'll tell you right now, my high tech base is 18%. I'm rampant insurance, so, healthcare, finance. So right away, I'm differentiating yeah. and I haven't even talked features yet. So right away, they're going tick, tick, tick. I should be talking to VanillaSoft. So this is something I wanted to, to ask you about too, because and it's nothing against outreach and sales left either, but a lot of their content, their sales and their prospecting content specifically, I personally have to be very careful when I'm consuming that content because so much of it is geared towards prospecting to tech yep. companies, Absolutely. right? It's this, um, I talked to Mark Hunter about this actually. And uh, I was like, hey, do you think there's this thing going on where a 90% of the information you see on LinkedIn is relevant to selling in tech when that's represents a very small percentage of the actual sales force out there in America. And uh, well, it's used North America really. Um, and he's like, I think so. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, it's huge. And it's true. I mean, tech is rampant on, on especially social media, right? So mm-hmm. if I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, there's a zillion sales influencers and followers in high tech. But if I were to go to insurance, you know, who's the Keenan? Who's the Trish Bertuzzi? Who's the Mark Hunter of the insurance vertical? Right. And, and not many. And who, who are, who are the Jason Bays of the insurance vertical? Not many. Yeah. Not the only person can, I can think of is Larry Levine has Larry, some experience yes. uh, selling yes. from the heart is, is that's like the only one I can think of that even touches that industry. Right. So that means you have to touch those industries in different ways. And that's where I'll have conversations with my people, uh, with my prospects, because they've, again, they've asked me if you're different and that starts the conversation. I'll, I'll say to them, be exactly what you just said. I'm just sharing with you, dude, you can do whatever you want to, but don't be fooled. They're biased by their markets they serve. Their advice, their guides, their features, their functions, their best practices are all influenced by their medium to enterprise high tech clients that are primarily SaaS. So if you're not SaaS, medium to high tech, uh, or a medium enterprise high tech, if you, you know if any of those are an X on your on your profile, buyer beware. Yeah, so this is interesting too because you very much have a blue ocean. Yes. In outside of tech, <laughs> it is hilarious because you guys hop on way more of these sales calls than I do. They don't even know what a sales engagement platform is most of the no. time. So when I'm asking them about, and they also don't usually label it as outbound in my experience either. It's, it's prospecting, right? Everyone understands what prospecting is. So, so with this ICP uh, portion, so you're, you're choosing intentionally because I hear this people, there seems to be some controversy around how much to pay attention to your competitors. Cause I think that people, too many people listen to companies like Amazon where Jeff Bezos would be like, you know, I don't pay attention to them at all. And it's like, well, I bet people on your team are paying really close attention to the people that are competing. And what I'm hearing from you is I want to know exactly what my competitors are doing so I can do something different. Is that, am I hearing that correctly or? Something different. I mean, it's a little bit of both, right? So yeah. uh, a couple answers there. Uh, just to finish one conversation, then I'll come back about the, something different, something the same. 
outside of high tech, we'll often not even bring up the words sales engagement. We'll use the terms lead management. Wow. And we'll, we'll use the term prospecting all the time. And in yeah. high tech, we might say, you know, CRM, salesforce.com. Whereas in say in insurance, we'll just say your lists, right? So it's understanding the terminology of your, again, your ICP over and over again, that that makes a big difference. Um, do I want to know what my competition's doing? Yes. Here's the thing you need to understand. Even though this whole time we've been talking about selling um, or even marketing to a lesser degree, the market, the big market, is influenced by tech. They get the lion's share of the investor money. They get the lion's share of the hype on Wired Magazine or HBR or on television and on the media shows. Uh, they get the lion's share of the speakers at all the big trade shows. So they do influence they do influence our industry. Um, so I do want to know what they're doing because I, I need to be part of those influencers. And if they're doing something relevant, that makes me go, should we be there or not? So I'm constantly re-examining is what they're doing something I should be doing. But it's just an input. Knowing who your market is drives everything. The re- When I got to VanillaSoft, we didn't use the term sales engagement. We were, you'll love this, we were CRM for inside sales. That's what we were. Uh, and before that, we were lead management. And I'm like, you know, my conversation with my peers was like, you know, CRM, people just think Salesforce. You don't want to compete against them. So that's a bad category. Lead management in the high tech world is thought as thought of as old technology, but sales engagement, sales engagement is hot. Lots of money going into sales engagement. We need to be in sales engagement just so I get covered by Forster and Gartner and Topo and Tenbound and every other person who's covering that space because that's the space the investors, the VCs, the equity investors are going to go source their research from to say, should I invest in VanillaSoft? Are they a player in this space? Because that's where the returns are. That's where you get your valuations and your multiples from. That's why we became sales engagement. But again, even today, when I'm in other industries, I don't say that. I say lead management. That is really cool. So... From, so, okay, so for what I'm getting from an ICP, and I'm thinking also on the rep level, because a lot of reps listen to this show, is I shouldn't run away from the competition. I should talk openly about it and just assume that that's going to be something they're going to research at some point anyways. The other thing is you mentioned strengths and weaknesses. So one of the things I noticed when I did the demo with you guys was it didn't just go straight to features. Like here's the list of outreaches features and sales loft. And here's the features that we have. (laughs) There was very much a higher level um, overview of, Hey, if you're trying to accomplish this and you're this type of business, this is where we're going to be a good fit. So from a strengths and weaknesses standpoint, um, where does that come up in the sales conversation or in the messaging? What, what are those strengths and weaknesses that you're pointing to? And yeah, let's just start with that, actually. So Andrea Waltz, if you don't know her, check her out. She's got a fantastic book and, and a whole premise around the, the, the phrase, go for no. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea around go for no is that you intentionally, when you get into conversations, you are setting yourself goals. I want 10 no's per hour. If I don't get 10 no's, if I, I get five yeses and that stops me from getting 10 no's, I'm going to be ticked off. So it's a whole different mentality. Many people are just scared of using the phone or reaching out and getting rejected. This is a way of actually embracing it and gamifying it. And it changes your whole perspective. Why does that matter? It matters because when you're selling, 
you don't want to waste your time on the tire kickers, the people who are a bad fit, the people who are never going to buy. You want to invest your time in the people who are a good fit, the people who will get value from you, the people who you can win because in a competitive sales cycle, you know, you know you're a better fit. You can better forecast the deals and everything else. So that's why engaging against the competition and having that conversation allows us at VanillaSoft, and this is what we tell our, our customers to do too, to quickly determine, are they going to be a good fit for you or not? It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, I, this is what I would say to my prospects. I'll say, let me ask a question. They're like, sure. Are you top down or bottom up? They're like, well, what do you mean? Well, in high tech, you know, high tech tends to be bottom up. What I mean by that is management will say, well, here's your cadence, seven touches in seven days. But you know, Mr. SDR, if you want to change it, make it nine touches in 13 days, you knock yourself out. We've given you the base. You can make it your own. And then every SDR does that. That's bottom up because you've got all the reps at the bottom doing what they want to do and they report up. Top down says, "Uh uh-uh, management decides the cadence, the outreach strategy, not the SDR, not the AE. You're going to do seven touches in seven days, nothing more, nothing less, and this is the timing. That's top down. You'll find in high tech, it tends to be bottom up. Everywhere else in the world, it's top down. And so what I'll say to them is, what are you? And eight times out of 10 is, well, we're actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I hadn't thought about it. We're top down. I said, exactly. Let me tell you why you're top down. When you're top down, you can change quickly. If it's all of a sudden the end of the quarter and you want to go and say, everybody, yeah, we got three products we're selling, but now we're all, we're all in on just everybody. The whole team is just selling product A and that's it. Nothing else. We've got to hit a number. Top down, you can make that shift. You can shift. The, you know, if all of a sudden COVID hits and you're all working from home, you can shift. When it's bottom up, you can't. The boat is a hard, hard thing to turn around and you turn around different paces. Part of that's cultural. Having those conversations lets them go, oh yeah, but what am I really doing? Whether it's sales or marketing, I'm setting up a little bit of fear uncertainty and doubt. I'm setting up landmines. They're going to go back to sales office and say, are you top down? Manila's off top down. We're top down. Well, what does that mean? So suddenly I look honest. I look authentic, which I am. I'm being straightforward and I'm not wasting cycles on people that are a bad fit for me. That's super cool. Um, what you did there is it sounds like there's there's this, I, what I always tell people when they're prospecting is try to figure out like what you really believe in about what you're doing and try to find out if the prospect believes in that. And it's the alignment of those beliefs typically that make for a good conversation. Is that, is that the approach is because yeah. you're making it, you don't even make it about the feature uh, or the benefits of the product at all. You make it more about the approach and you're either on this side or you're on this side. Is, is that intentional? That's intentional because yeah, now once I understand cool. what side you're on, because we're having a conversation too, right? I'm, I'm secretly doing discovery. Are you top down or you bottom up? I'm actually doing discovery right now. You don't even know it. You, yeah. and, and so now when I go into the demo, for example, I'm not going to do a product feature pitch barrage at you. Instead, I'm going to say, okay, so when we were talking, there was you know, two or three things that you said were pretty important to you. Let's just start there first. I'm just going to show you those couple things. And then if, mm-hmm. if you still want to see some of the stuff or understand how it works or how whatever, then we can do that. So again, you're respecting their time and they're digging you. They're, they're not, again, you said there's no mental math going on trying to figure out if this is a good fit for me or not because that's what they're always doing. They're always trying to rule you out. 
you're avoiding all of that. In fact, and in the process, you're establishing a rapport as you become trustworthy and ask legit questions. And that also leads to a chance to do storytelling, not unlike what we're doing right now. So all of that is good. And in fact, even in our case of VanillaSoft, you'll love this, how it's come full circle. I would say, you know, people would say to us, well, how much funding do you have? Well, you know what? I've got about 1% of sales loft and outreach is funding. And they're like, ooh, that's risky. I'm like, really? Let me explain to you what's risky. What's risky is having a massive burn rate when the economy tanks, because something's going to happen. We've seen that over and over again, that the economy is going to tank. They're laying off everybody. and They don't have anybody to support you because they've overextended themselves. We've been around here for 15 years. We make money. We're profitable. Well, guess what we're in right now? We're in exactly what I just described. We're in, you know, with COVID and, and coronavirus, people are, it, it's, a, it's a wasteland right now of reps being laid off because the companies overextended themselves. But you know what, VanillaSoft, we're hiring. You guys are hiring. We're, I saw that. Yeah, we've yeah. got videos out there saying we're hiring. So, you know, we just try to educate. And if they don't like my story, if they're already locked in and I'm just, I'm just column fodder because they really want sales loft, then let's just figure that out quickly so I can move on. Yeah. Ah, dude, there's so much to take, a, take away from there as a, yeah, as a rep. I, I love calling that out right away at the beginning. That's brilliant. And this, hey, here's what we believe in. Like what camp are you in thing is, yep. uh, that's so big because it makes your messaging more than the features or the benefits or the saving time or the saving money bullshit that you just see a lot of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I love that. So you mentioned COVID, which I feel like we need to talk about because <laughs> you guys are a prospecting company and I'm, I'm curious what, how did you guys react actually? What were, what were you thinking when all of this stuff is like, Oh shit, this is a real thing. Um, you know, people are having to stay home. What were you guys thinking in terms of, well, what do we need to tell our customers? What do we need to advise our customers to do right now? What were you guys thinking? I mean, I'll, I'll shoot straight with you. We were figuring out it out at the same time as our customers, which is like everybody else, I'm pretty sure. And anybody tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. Because, you know, again, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 50s. I've been through this a few times, but I've never been through this, you know, mm-hmm. this pandemic. I've been through economic crashes and, you know, dot-com crashes, but never a pandemic. So no one's been here before. So we were trying to figure it out like everybody else. What we did was... Um, you know, through the blessing of, of Slack and email and a lot of phone calls and a lot of ad hoc one-on-one get-togethers was we shared every single piece of information we had uh, that we got from, and there were some great analysts. I want to give a shout out to the folks at Topo, Topo HQ owned by Gartner now, but they've been stunning just doing almost like, yeah. it feels like daily surveys to get in the lay of the land and then sharing that with people. So we take the surveys and then we share the surveys with all our friends and then we get the results back. And then the and then now we've got answers. So what we we've done is we've actually started doing two specific things. We've started having uh, regular every couple of days uh, coffee talks, virtual coffee talks with our install base, and you can show up or you can not show up. We're recording it other way and we're gonna send it to you. And we're talking about what we're seeing, this report, that report, this report, that report, and we open up the mics. If you want to chime in as a client, you can. So it's a safe place to go. We're all vanilla soft users. And then we share that same stats with our reps who are sharing that with their prospects. That's the first thing. Um, second thing. What, what kind of, yeah, what kind of things were coming up in those meetings that you guys were sharing? 
So first off, is this real? Is this going to last a long time? Is this, you know, is this truly a pandemic? Do we need to go to work from home? Uh, do we have the gear to work from home? What does this mean for our clients? What do we, th- what do we anticipate? Is this going to affect our pipeline? What do we need to do? If we, should we anticipate uh, a reduction in staff? Should we anticipate um, re- reducing program spend? So, so you're thinking like business problems, business less, problems. less so prospecting type of stuff and more so business problems and helping right, them anticipate. Yeah. Our businesses, our clients and our prospects are going to have the exact same questions. So if we're anticipating, is this going to affect my Q1, my Q2, my monthly you know, activity numbers and my monthly actual revenue numbers, pipeline forecast, all the other stuff, it's affecting them too. So then we were looking back further ourselves and looking at, okay, what are the implications, activity, deal size, are they slowing down and speeding up across all of the sectors, the verticals, the industries that we service? And then, you know, we could start to discern some patterns after a week or so. Um, And then we were sharing that with, with our prospects. And, you know, Candidly, some industries got decimated. If you're selling in a hospitality or travel, as an example, it sucks to be you. My heart goes out to yeah. you with all sincerity. But then the beauty of being across other industries, as opposed to just one, insurance is going off the wall nuts. Healthcare, people are going, I need better health insurance. Off the wall nuts, as example. So we started to recognize and identify micro segments. So then we're coaching, we were using our examples because they knew VanillaSoft. They said, okay, you know VanillaSoft, this is where we play. Here's what we've seen shrink. Here's what we've seen disappear. And here's what we've seen explode. What's going on in your industry? Have you seen that? And, and by the way, we invite you to the Coffee Talks where we can talk as peers in confidentiality if you want to brainstorm together. Uh, we shared nonstop. We shared nonstop the research. We got like, willingly, excessively, uh, so they could see the stats and, make, and draw their own conclusions. But in the end, I mean, you know what the options are. The options are pretty straightforward. Either I close shop, I let go people, or I, I brace for impact and I'm going to weather this out. We can't make that decision for them. We can just share the stats. I love that you guys led with insights because that's, I mean, a lot of people when this happened, what I was thinking was, well, honestly, I, I, if I'm being honest, I panicked a little bit at first. I was like, As you, should. you know, the conversations I had in the pipeline for training and consulting fr- froze up. <laughs> uh, those, uh, for the most part, uh, took a hiatus for a week or two. But in the moment, I went through this place where I was like, oh, God, you know, like catastrophizing. Are people even going to need to hire a sales trainer anymore, you know, to yep. come in and do this stuff? So. I sort of went that area, but when I gathered myself, that was one of the first things I was thinking about is how do we talk to our customers, find out what's going on in their world, help them as best as we can in the areas that we can, and then share that with other people. Um, It seems so obvious when you're talking about it right now, but why, why do you think that people still haven't done that? They have insights that they can actually share and help their customers and they don't use it. When they prospect, that's the easiest way to start a conversation with someone. I think they view, for many people, otherwise called insecurity, they think they have something that they doesn't want and they think it's their, their advantage. I don't get it. Um, some of it's old school. Um, genuinely, I, I think partly it's just how some people are just physically wired, right? Whether it's we were at school on the playground. Some people were really friendly. Others were really stuck up. There was the cool kids, the jocks, you know, the mean girls, call it what you will. There were segments of all different shapes and sizes and types in society. And I think this is just another reflection of that. 
But that's why I love the premise of something like Go For No we mentioned earlier, because it cuts through all the bullshit. It just says, you know, are you with me or are you not? You know, do you want my research or not? Do you want my input or not? If you don't, that's fine. If you do, here you go. To me, this is this is rapport building. For us, we went heavy duty into our install base. I mentioned that already, but part of that was because of the following. We recognize they may have to make decisions to reduce their seat count or actually just pause their contracts altogether. Fair enough. We don't begrudge that. You know, we're not happy about it because it's income that we we were counting on, but it is what it is. We would do the same decision. We don't judge them for it. Um, but when we look at that, we're going, if they see us now acting like professionals, like colleagues, like peers, because that's how we view ourselves, but now we have a chance to lead by example. If they see that, when they when the economy bounces back and they come back and the economy is going to bounce back and it's going to bounce back because there's going to be so much pent up demand, it's going to be crazy. Are they going to stick with us or are they going to go somewhere else? Right? So you should be loyal for loyal sake because it's the right thing to do, but you should also be loyal and helpful because it's in your best interests. Yeah. Your, fu- <laughs> your future is counting on it. It is. <laughs> so did you... Yeah, because you hear empathy being thrown around a lot right now. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sort of in the camp. Well, I am definitely in the camp of empathy has always been important, but it I don't think it helps to necessarily say that because I think that now you have to have a lot of it, right? In order to be successful on the sales front. And you can't really, if some of the companies out there have world-class products and their sales reps have kind of just relied on their company's reputation and the product to sell, right? They haven't really had to empathize um, is that where does empathy come in with your guys's approach in terms of messaging right now? That's a loaded question. Let me give you some some answers, and, I, and I'm not saying our our answers are right here, but I, I love the question. So empathy is huge. We've always that's who we are culturally. Um, you know, we're not a unicorn. I'll let that sit there. So we we are all about our prospects and our users. It's just how we're wired. So we led with that, but. Here's the thing. Some people are doing faux empathy, trying to gain accolades and exploit the situation. And I am so against that. A couple examples. I've seen one of my, one of the vendors in the space create a job board. People are losing their jobs. You guys come here. We're going to have this job board and we're going to help you get back again. And everybody's like, yeah, well, you know what? That's bullshit. Because you're not a recruiter, you're not a placement agency, you're not. But there's people out there who do this. And by you being a job board, you're taking business away from those other people who really are job boards. So I didn't even you, think of it like that. It's t- so true. It's true, right? You're you're gonna try <laughs> to do something that you're a half-assing because you don't know what you're doing, because that's not what your core expertise is, because you're getting hype out of it. Yeah, if you so, think that finding a, a sales recruiting partner. To, to work with and exactly. say, hey, let me connect you with all of our customers yes. who are hiring right now and let's co-promote you know, something like that together. Love now. It. That's much more logical, right? Another example, we saw everybody, oh, since they- Daryl's bringing the fire right now. I got you fired <laughs> up. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. This is who we are though. When they, when he, everybody's like online, they like, you know, I've been an online guy. You know that I've been all over podcasts, webinars, virtuals, videos, everything. That's what I do. But now everybody's just gone all in and it's been a, 
It's a red ocean of digital noise that's overwhelming people in this high anxiety time and distracting from them, able to do their job with so many freaking invites and social media touches to join my webinar. So what we did, and this is what, again, what we do, I can't emphasize this enough, is we pull way back. We actually turn down the volume. We said we're going to do less webinars, less videos. We don't need to clutter their inbox for the next 60, 90 days. We don't need to be part of the noise. What do they need right now? Well, they probably need some good research. They probably need some good, they probably, maybe they're going back to that honey-do list, that DIY that now they have time to do because their sales activity has dropped. Let's give them some long-form content and help show them how others do. Let's do some case studies. Let's not just overwhelm their inbox with webinars and coffee talks and videos and all the other crap. So we went the other way. We went to the blue ocean because there's enough people out there in the red ocean that will offer value. So we're going to go over here instead, which is funny because Topo will tell you what your tactic should be now is to go all in on digital. And while I love a lot of their advice, I actually disagree with that. Okay. You got to share more here. So, (laughs) um, Okay, so you're saying go against the grain in terms of, because I saw some stuff, you've been posting some stuff about this and you had a really funny video. Basically, the theme was stop posting shitty content right now. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so basically what I'm hearing is this is not an excuse to pick up the quantity if the quality is not going to follow with it. And yes. it's especially a time to probably double down if you can on the quality side of things and do some of these reports and case studies and stuff that you're talking about. Yep. Um, why, why is there anything more you can share about that? Because that's the exact opposite of basically every big company right now is do the coffee talks. I'm like, fuck dude, if there's another coffee talk, thank you with you no purpose. Point. I'm like, I, I just, get it. Like you're fun and it's supportive and stuff, but this doesn't, I don't think it really adds a lot of value. I feel like so, a total hater right now. <laughs> no, you've just made my point. You know, there's yeah. a bunch of sheeple. People aren't thinking. They're just saying, oh, that's what we got to do. We don't have the leads from the trade shows or whatever. So we can't send direct mails because they're all working from home. We don't have home addresses. So I, I guess we're going to do this. Uh, and here's the thing. They do it. They do it. They do it shitty. You know, my guy, I'm, I'm sitting here right now. True story, I live in the country. My internet on a good day is two to three meg down and less than a meg up. I can't stream shit from my house. You know, certain areas for sure. Canada is a big country and a lot of country. And I can't go to my office. I live in Ontario. My office is in Quebec. We're a border community. Um, And they're not letting people across the border trying to keep everybody isolated. So I can't get to my office in my studio and I can't do shit at my house. I had to go and literally rent a shareable space and I'm sitting here and I'm in my shareable space and I've had a number of events today ending with the best, which is your show. And I've got multiple lights and mics and, you know, sound devices. Why? To make good content. People will listen to good content. Looks good. Sounds good. Has value. They'll listen to that. Too many people are making shit content. If I get another screenshot of a zoom meeting where there's a bunch of faces where all I'm seeing are their ceilings um, I'm going to freak out, right? That you're wasting my time. You nailed it. Let me give you a real life example. I was literally just on a couple hours ago, a webinar where I was asked to moderate. And there was 12 people on that webinar in a talking role. 
these are the who's who between the US and the UK of sales, you know, makers and shakers, Daniel Disney, Scott Lees, Richard Harris, Costas Perkis, the list goes on. Rob Jepson, uh, Alex Ollie, Sam Dunning, um, Kevin Dorsey. It's just, it's just amazing. 12 people, massive followers, killer content, killer reputation. It was a debate, U.S. versus the U.K. So we had loyalty, we had camaraderie, we had team spirit. We played every trigger we could. And we had just over 750 people. We should have had 3,000 if we had anything and any other time. That's how noisy it is. Now, what was the number one feedback we got from all the people who came? I'm not making this shit up. The number one feedback we heard from the users, over the attendees, over and over and over again was, wow, it was good content. Wow, nobody was pitching. Wow, is well moderated. Wow, the answers were insightful and actionable. Why are they making those comments? Because no one else is doing that. So that makes our content remarkable. They remarked upon it. That tells you how bad it is. Don't do that. If you're going to do it, do good content. If you can't do good content, back to my post, stop making shitty content and go somewhere where you can make good content. Love it, Daryl. That's my my rant. (laughs) Yeah. Love it, man. Well, it's been really good having you on. Uh, Before you take off, uh, where's the best place to connect with you? Where do you want to send people? So LinkedIn, of course, is where I live, the Daryl Prale. Uh, if you're not sure how to spell it, uh, you know, go to the VanillaSoft website under the leadership and you'll see my name. There you go. There's lots of links there. That's awesome. Twitter, uh, Twitter. I love my Twitter handle. I did this years ago when it first came out. My Twitter handle is opinionated, but it's spelled funky. It's O-H-P-I-N-I-O-N, the number eight, T-E-D, opinionated. And you can probably tell by now my Twitter handle is fairly indicative of who you're going to get with me. This is my commitment to you. You can also go to DarylPrail.com as well as VanillaSoft.com. But my commitment to you is if you follow me, you're going to get honest content. You don't have to agree with me. And if you don't bring it, I will respectfully engage you on that conversation. I love when people do that. But you will get content with the take, with an opinion. I'm not a sycophant. I call it out. If you're doing good shit, I applaud you. I endorse you. I promote you. It's a relationship. It's a tribe. I help you. You help me. Together, we both succeed. That's me. Awesome. That was a really fun interview with Daryl. My biggest takeaway was how closely they pay attention to what their users and prospects say about what they like about VanillaSoft versus their competition. And I thought it was also really cool that they have fields in VanillaSoft where people can capture this information so that they can use it at scale because those quote for quote little nuggets from those calls are perfect for marketing copy, for email copy, for things to say word for word in your talk tracks when you're making cold calls too. So thanks for checking out the podcast. I have one quick ask before you go. If you enjoyed this, if you could go on iTunes, the shortcut is blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes and leave a quick review, just an honest review of what you thought. It would really help to create more exposure for the podcast so we can continue getting on great guests like Daryl. So please do that. It would really help out a ton. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.